Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for May 4th, 2018. On today's show, we're going to stop by the water cooler and tell, talk about what we've been up to, including my trip to Orlando and to, to uh, experience the new Fast and the Furious ride at Universal Studios. Uh, and in the latest film and TV news, we're going to be mostly concentrating on Avengers 4 and Infinity War. So if if you aren't sick and tired of us talking about that yet, uh, congratulations, you, you have more of it. Uh, this is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me today are Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Y-Tran Bowie. Hey, everyone. Guys, I'm, I'm back, kind of. I guess. Yeah, yeah, I'm back. I don't think I have any trips coming up until Comic-Con. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad to be home. Uh, I was uh, visiting Ben's uh, old stomping grounds in Florida. Yep. Uh, were you near Orlando? Yeah, I lived in uh, right outside of Orlando for about a year when I worked in reality TV back in, uh, two th- in the late, I guess it was 2008, 2009-ish. Yeah, I, I was so stupid and did not put on sunscreen, and now my body is, like, bright red. And I had one of those – I'm not sure if you, either of you have had, like, one of these sunburns, but, like, I took a shower this morning. And even having the shower with cold water was, like, so painful. Oh, <laughs> um, I actually don't really get sunburned. Well, you are lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have very tan skin, so when I get sunburned, it's like a very rare occasion. I know you get everyone's like hating on me right now. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm usually that person. I have like very uh, tan skin as well, but um, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Sunscreen, Peter. It's important. Wear it. What are you doing? I know. I know. Um, okay, let's uh, go stop over by the water cooler to talk about what we've been up to. Uh, I went to Orlando to experience the new. Uh, Fast and the Furious supercharged attraction at Universal Studios in in Florida, um, and uh, I wanted to, to briefly talk about this. I'm going to have a whole article on the site on Monday, uh, 
bringing you through like all the change, you know, what's different about it from the LA version of it. Uh, but to give you the Cliff Notes version, uh, in Universal Studios Hollywood, there's a tram tour, which is almost like an hour long. And part of that tram tour is this segment where you, um, are in this Fast and the Furious, like, car chase sequence it's done by this projection technology that surrounds you surrounds the side of the trams and the front of the trams and makes you feel like you are going on this high octane chase down the la freeways and it's uh totally ridiculous and uh you you know a lot of people i know don't like it but um i i I don't know. I, I just love how silly and ridiculous it is. It's like one of those things where, like, Vin Diesel is, like, hanging off of a helicopter and cars are jumping <laughs> over you. It's just, like, maximum ridiculousness. Um, uh, in L.A., on, on, the, on the tram tour, it is accomplished with 3D glasses. In uh, the new Florida attraction, uh, it is the same segment, but they do it without 3D glasses. The Universal Creative said that they found a new way of doing high frame rate to make the 2D look like it's 3D without glasses. I was so excited to experience that. Unfortunately, it just looks 2D. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, which is good and bad. Uh, for a ride like this, um, when you when you have 3D glasses on, uh, you are looking all over. And you're typically also looking on your peripherals, you know, that are not the lenses of the 3d lenses so uh you get a bad experience because you're seeing like things that are like you know in that uh fuzzy uh two overlaid images uh 3d that are you know because you're not looking through through your 3d glasses so this way like you know you can experience everything from peripheral to front It's, it's it's a better experience but on the other hand uh some of the CG in this um <laughs> in this experience is, is not that great, and I feel like I, I always feel like if you see a movie in a three D uh, theatrical experience, it covers up a lot of bad CG. Uh, not to the extent that like you won't see it, but it it uh, it does some wonders to bad CG, and I, I think having this in two D makes it look a little bit more cartoony than I would have liked. Um, uh, okay, so I um. So what's the differences between the L.A. and San Francisco attractions? Actually, Ben, you have experienced the L.A. Uh, attraction. Yes. Uh, what do you think? What are, What is your feelings? I mean, I'm a big Fast and Furious fan, and so I like the idea of it being on a ride. I'm not crazy about it being incorporated into the uh, backlot tour of Universal because that's like my favorite thing to do at Universal, and it just doesn't really fit with that. I, I feel like it would work much better as a standalone attraction, and from what it sounds like, what they have at, at Universal Orlando is a standalone thing. Is that right? Yeah, it's a standalone attraction. Um, although it's it's basically the same segment. They the, the ride itself, uh, you board a p- party bus, um, and the ride itself is basically the same exact thing. They did. Uh, strangely, you'd think like Universal just like oh they're just trying to save money. They're using the same footage over here uh, that you know they 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 made for Hollywood over in Florida, but that's not the case because they had to digitally go and re-render the entire movie to change the setting from LA to San Francisco because this uh, ride is based in the San Francisco part of the Universal Studios park. Um, so I don't think they saved any money there. Uh, it, it is interesting. The, the, the best part of this ride or attraction is uh, it has this huge queue that like you were going through like 
uh, you know, the family's warehouse, including like their like family room and their like uh, undercover, like, you know, high teched out uh, room where they're like planning you know, they plan their heists and stuff like that. Um, but there's a mm-hmm. lot of cool Easter eggs all around. Uh, they did, uh, there's two segments, which are um, two rooms where there's a live actor in the room interacting with a screen where, like, uh, someone from the movies is, like, having a fight FaceTime conversation with them. So it, it's kind of, uh, it, it's kind of, it, there is an experience to it that is outside of the ride itself, and that is a lot of fun. It is interesting, though. They got uh, Mia, um, what's her name, Jordana Brewster. Yes. Who has kind of been out of the series for, what, a couple films now? Uh, She wasn't in The Fate of the Furious. I think she sort of rode off into the sunset at the end of Furious 7. Yeah, it's kind of strange that they they, they got her um, to be in, you know, this attraction. She's filmed some segments for those, like, FaceTime interactions, um, which doesn't seem to make any sense because Brian is now out of the picture. She should be, you know on the beach somewhere right um but uh universal creative said they want to make it about family and she made sense i think that what that really means is everybody else costs more money but uh <laughs> um but anyways it, regardless it, it it was a lot of fun it, it is short um you, you can read a lot more about this when when i write it right up for the site it'll it'll hit on monday um and uh it's just weird. It's just weird. Like the Mia thing's weird. That the the villain in this is Owen Shaw, who I think was a villain a few films ago, right? Yeah, he was in uh, Fast and Furious Six. Didn't he help them out in the last film? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So like, I don't yeah. understand why they're running away. Like in a new ride, they're running away from this bad guy that's like now kind of on their side. Killed and... Han. Yeah. Uh... Oh, sorry, Deckard killed Han, but still. Yeah. Um. And um. And uh, there's calendars in this room that show uh, 2018 dates. It's not like it's set in the past. And I know I'm getting totally geeky here. I'm going too long. But uh, this whole thing is completely immersive. You you could – Ben, someone like you who is a fan of this franchise could spend a lot of time in in these rooms. Like there's so many Easter eggs and fun things to look for because it's kind of like where they're prepping for their their, what they do. And Mm – but strangely, on one part of the room, they're projecting, like there's a truck with a projector, uh, projecting scenes from the Fast and the Furious movies on the wall of their of their warehouse, which just seems weird immersively to me that <laughs> that they would have scenes from their movies inside the movie. But okay, right. whatever. <laughs> um, anyways, yeah, go. You can read my uh, read my article on the site on Monday. Uh, ben, what have you been up to? Uh, Last night was the opening night of the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival, and this is my second year going. Uh, Last year, I saw Justin Lin's Better Luck Tomorrow, which was one of his early movies that sort of got him some acclaim. It's a a high school film uh, with an Asian cast that includes John Cho and um, Sung Kang, who showed up later in the Fast and Furious movies. It's a really great movie. So if you guys have not seen Better Luck Tomorrow, add it to your cues because it's it's definitely worth watching. Uh, I I I love that film. If you have not seen it, what, what Ben said. Go, go check it out. Yeah. The, There's the... also a fun sort of bringing Fast and Furious back into this. There's a fun fan theory that uh, Han's character in Fast and Furious is like a sequel to the character in uh, Better Luck Tomorrow, sort of like a continuation of that character. So that that's a sort of fun tie in because they have very similar quirks 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so last night was the LA premiere of this movie called Searching, which I saw at Sundance back when it was called Search. And it's directed by a guy named Anish Chiganti, and it is an amazing movie. I loved it at Sundance. I gave it a 10 out of 10 review. Maybe we can link to my review in the show notes. And uh, I really, I was curious to see if, uh, like, how well the movie held up for me. Because sometimes, you know, at Sundance, you're watching 15, 20 movies in a very, very compressed period of time. Sometimes the altitude can get to your head. And months later, when you revisit some of these things, you're like, oh, maybe I was a little too easy on this. Maybe it was a little too hard on this. I was very curious to see how Searching would hold up. And it is an incredible movie. It's, it's going to be one of my favorite films of the year, for sure. I already know. And uh, I cannot wait for you guys to see this film. It's it's all It all takes place on a computer screen. Um, it's sort of like unfriended in that way, but not, I mean, it's it's sort of difficult to, excri- to describe, but I think a trailer is probably going to be coming out in the next week or two. So um, maybe we can talk about it more when you guys see some actual footage from it. But uh, John Cho stars in this film as well. And it's about a, a father who goes on the hunt for his missing daughter. And he has to like search through her computer and her phone and, you know, try to like access her contacts and all this stuff, trying to learn about her and discover where she might have gone. So uh, it's a great mystery. It's it packs an emotional punch. It is, uh, yeah, one of the best movies of 2018. I cannot wait for you guys to see it. So I, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to the people at the LA uh, Asian Pacific Film Festival for letting me in and checking out the movie again. And um, I just want to put searching on everyone's radars because I'm going to be talking about this movie a lot in the next few weeks. What would the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival do without John Cho? <laughs> it's like every year they have some event uh, surrounding him. Yeah, last year it was like this, uh, there was the hashtag of uh, starring John Cho. That was like a big thing. And then they made a joke that like they went from the hashtag to the real thing in like this year because he starred in the opening night movie. So, yeah, (laughs) that's funny. H.T., you talked earlier about playing Harry Potter Hogwarts mystery game. uh, Mm -hmm. And you have an update for us on that. Yes, I finally got to year two of the Harry Potter Hogwarts mystery game. Uh, Just well, it didn't take you a whole year, so that's good. It didn't take me a whole year. It did take me about a week, though, because this game is, because of its really frustrating long wait times and sort of microtransactions that come with it, you have to, it takes a long time to just, like, grind and level up uh, in this game. It's not really a game for people who like gaming, essentially. It's Like I said before, it's very much a mobile game, but it's really easy to play, and it's definitely something that you can do while you're just in between tasks. So that's what I figured out the trick to this game is without being frustrated with it and deleting it entirely is that you just can do it between tasks and just set it aside for a little bit and then come back to it. So the mystery now is deepening in year two of Harry Potter Hogwarts mystery because now I guess spoilers for people who are playing the game. One of your friends has disappeared and you're trying to find out where he is. It's very exciting. So is this a game that has like an ending or is this kind of like Pokemon go that it keeps on continuing? No, there's a, there's a, finite story to it because you play an original character uh, that you can dress up like to look like yourself and it takes place 10 years before Harry Potter ever comes to Hogwarts so it's you see a lot of familiar characters so you get to like interact with Professor McGonagall, Professor Snape, Professor Dumbledore and um, but you get your, your own story to it so like they give you a little backstory like your brother was expelled from Hogwarts a couple years ago for trying to find these cursed vaults so the entire seven year um seven years that you're at Hogwarts you get to solve this mystery so it's it's fun it's it's a very compelling mystery so it's it's keeping me going wait do you get to do you get to pick your house you do get to pick your house 
at the beginning they uh, put See, them under the sorting hat. They they should pick it for you. It should be the sorting yeah. hat signs you. I know they should do it like Pottermore, but they make it they make it like you want to like whatever house you want to pick. So yeah. Okay, um, let's move on to the news. Let's start off with uh, our only bit of non-MCU discussion. And this kind of ties into my Fast and the Furious bit because uh, they uh, they did some interviews uh, during this Fast and the Furious supercharged event that I was at. Uh, Vin Diesel wasn't talking to me, but he was talking to other people. And uh, we, we learned a bit about who might be returning to direct Fast 9 and Fast 10. What do we know, Ben? Yes. So in an interview with the Today Show, he said uh, it does get bigger talking about Fast 9 and, and Fast 10 and the scale and scope of these movies. He said, I just got off the phone with Justin Lin, who is directing Fast 9 and Fast 10, and I can't tell you how excited he is. Uh, they asked him where the movie might go in the new sequel, and he said, we haven't been to Africa and we're long overdue. So th- those are the two sort of bits of news there. Uh, and this is the first that we've heard that Justin Lin is actually coming back to direct Fast 9 and Fast 10. He was the one who really uh, almost single-handedly saved this franchise from extinction because he directed uh, the Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, which at one point was they were like thinking about making that a direct-to-DVD movie, but he increased the quality so much that they decided to release it in theaters. And then he was the one who sort of revamped the whole franchise with Fast and Furious. And then, of course, Fast Five and Fast and Furious Six really took the whole thing to a new level and sort of brought it to this really over-the-top, ridiculous kind of uh, action franchise where it sits right now. So are are we excited that Justin Lin's back? I mean, I feel like he's such a good director that I almost wish he was out, out doing other things. But he did, you know, provide some of the best films in this franchise he do you have any thoughts i'm excited for justin lynn to come back and i'm mostly excited because he could possibly do um do do good by han's storyline i'm very upset Hashtag still that justice for han justice for han i'm still very upset that fate of the furious basically glossed over han's whole death and sacrifice and have basically redeemed Deckard Shaw without another thought towards Han. So maybe Justin Lin will bring Han back in a way that will make me satisfied with the franchise again. Okay, we're going to be moving on to Infinity War and speculation for Avengers 4 and Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, So if you have not seen Infinity War, you might want to tune out here. If you don't like speculation and fan theories uh you might want to turn off here too as well uh but let's start off with something that isn't uh speculation that is a deleted scene from infinity war the russo brothers have revealed uh one of the deleted scenes ht what do we know so joe and anthony russo who directed avengers infinity war revealed that uh the final film was pretty close to the direct the director's cut except for a few loose ends and a few scenes that they had to cut and one specifically was one that they were really uh, fond of, but uh, that involved the Guardians of the Galaxy. So Anthony Rousseau described it as, it's a scene where they're sort of stuck. There's a point in the movie where they're stuck without knowing what to do. And it was just this absurd scene of the Guardians not knowing where to go. And it was really fun and it was very endearing to us. But because the movie is so big and so propulsive, it just wasn't quite pushing us where we needed to go. So it seemed like sort of a fun scene Cut, put somewhere in the middle of the film that uh, is just kind of the Guardians bickering from what I can he, uh, glean from Anthony Rousseau's statement. And uh, it seems like it, it would be fun to lead scene, which he, they which uh, they said will be included on the Blu-ray. 
I mean, the Guardians of the Galaxy were one of the best parts of this movie, in my opinion. Um, I would have like I would have liked to seen that in there. It's kind of disappointing, actually, that there aren't many deleted scenes because I feel like this is one of those rare movies that I wish there was a you know Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings style ultimate cut that puts like an hour of footage into the movie on home video because like there's so many people in this movie so many storylines to balance and I would I would almost love to see like uh you know a, a fan service cut that gives everybody even more time to you know to explore those characters um but it seems like we're not going to get that so I guess there's no uh, speculation there. Um, but let, let's move on to, um, oh, while I was uh, traveling, you know, when you're traveling uh, through airports and on airplanes, you have a lot of time to think. And I was thinking about, you know, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, we, we still don't have any idea how Ant-Man and the Wasp will connect with Infinity War. We know that it begins shortly after Civil War. And we assume that this movie takes place before Infinity War. Am, am I correct in that, Ben? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, so I, w- I was trying to think, like, how, you know, but we have heard when I was on the set of uh, Infinity War, uh, the Russo brothers, or I think it might have been the screenwriters, said that, you know, the, the movie they had to, like, uh, balance the most with, like, you know, and connect and make sure they were on the same page was Ant-Man and the Wasp, not Captain Marvel, which seems to suggest that there is some kind of connection between Infinity War and Ant-Man and the Wasp. So I, I was thinking about that while I was on the plane, and I, I came up with an idea, um, and I wanted to pitch this idea to you guys. I tweeted it out, um, but the idea basically is that I, I'm assuming this movie, the climactic stuff, takes place in the quantum realm, which might explain why Ant-Man and the Wasp are not in Infinity War. Um, so now what I'm wondering is, or what, what I'm thinking is that they will return from the quantum realm, uh, having saved the day or, or whatever happened, you know, rescued, um, Janet Van Dyne. Yeah. Janet Van Dyne. Um, uh, and the after credit scene will be them returning to the, you know, post-apocalyptic, you know, half the universe has disintegrated into dust and them trying to figure out what is going on. And just as they are t- trying to figure out what is going on, the wasp disappears into dust. Then cut to, you know, the end credits title, Ant-Man and the Wasp will return in Avengers 4, and the wasp name turns into dust. Hmm. No? HT, do you have any thoughts about that? That would be really interesting. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if they went in that direction because that would definitely put a real sort of shocking that would bookend the movie in a real shocking moment. So, yeah. Although I think in your tweet, didn't you say that Ant-Man is one who gets erased? Yeah. I I have recently speculated that Ant-Man would be the one that gets erased, but a lot of people corrected me. There's a lot of set photos out there of Ant-Man from Avengers four working with the people that are still alive. So, uh, so I guess, you know, he's probably around. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I, we don't know anything. We don't even know that these people that are erased are dead. Um, you know, they could be all transported to the quantum realm. We don't. We we have no idea what's going on. So, uh, but um, I, yeah, I, I would have thought it would have been uh, more shocking if you know you erased Ant Man at the end of the movie. And, yeah. yeah. The well, reason we could that finally I see the wasp. Sorry. Go ahead. Ben. No. No. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I'm just. I'd be really excited to see the wasp finally be the lead and be the 
basically the female lead in that movie because we've seen plenty of of uh, Scott Lang already. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, the only reason that I sort of um, brush back against your theory a little bit, Peter, is the idea of them returning from the quantum realm into the world in which Thanos has already snapped his fingers and half the world has been, or the universe has been obliterated, and then only for uh, Wasp to disappear at that moment. It seems like if they're in the quantum realm, maybe they were protected from the snap heard around the world kind of thing you know that might be possible uh, another person re- responded to my tweet and speculated that they would return uh jenna van dyne to uh michael douglas's hank pym character and one of them would disappear after their re- reuniting and then uh scott lang would go over to his daughter and his daughter would disappear mm. <laughs> i think that would piss people off yeah, probably. <laughs> I would get pissed off by that. <laughs> I'd be like, this is not what I came to Ant-Man for. Yeah. I came for an ant drumming, not this. <laughs> what is going on with that ant drumming? I know we, we I, <laughs> I know uh Brad did the uh the trailer breakdown for that, um, which I still have not had a chance to check out, but I've watched that trailer a couple times now and I'm like, what is going on with that gig- that gigantic ant drummer? Um <laughs> Someone needs to speculate on that. We need we need theories. Um, <laughs> let's move on to one last story before we get to our future presentation, and that is uh, actually an Infinity War theory that Joe Russo has confirmed to be true about the Soul Stone. HT, yeah. what is going on here? So at an Iowa high school uh, Q&A, Joe Russo appeared as a surprise and answered a few questions about Infinity War uh, with possible implications for Avengers 4. So uh, the intrepid students at the high school asked uh, where that scene um, at the ending of Infinity War takes place between Thanos and young Gamora. Uh, And Joe, Joe Russo responded, it's implied it's the Soul Stone. It's all orange around. Then he's inside the soul stone with the amount of power that it took to snap his fingers. So when a student asked if that means Gamora is in the soul stone, Rousseau answered, she's in fact, in fact, she is. Uh, So that uh, sort of is that confirms essentially the theory that the soul soul stone and soul world, which exists inside soul stone, exists and could play largely into the plot of Avengers 4. And this is actually kind of adjacent to your quantum realm theory in that maybe uh, not only Gamora, but all the people who disappeared with the, the snap heard around the universe uh, is actually are actually residing, residing inside Soul World or the Soul Stone. And uh, in the comics, the Soul World is a sort of pocket dimension and a kind of purgatory for souls that are captured by Adam Warlock, but the MCU so it could sort of twist this as all the people who were disappeared and turned to dust uh, just kind of appearing inside the soul world instead. Hmm. It, it's interesting that the version of Gamora in that world is the version of her as, as a young child, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we don't really know like if this is really the truly the people like this is truly Gamora or if it's just like a version of her or something or maybe it's just like an illusion we don't know but but Joe Russo did say that she is in the soul stone in some capacity 
Interesting. Okay, well, mm-hmm. Ben did a roundup of seven Avengers four fan theories uh, deal with, that deal uh, deal with the uh, fallout of Infinity War, and uh, we're going to talk about a few of them now. He he had seven in his article. Let, let's do the uh, the top three or four, Ben, uh, and let, let's uh, try to figure out. Uh, let's let's uh, speculate on you know how uh, how much validity these might have. Uh, where do you want to start? So there's one that uh, suggests that Iron Man might become the new Sorcerer Supreme. And the thing that I, I'm not crazy about with this theory is that it sort of completely uh, pushes aside the character of Wong, who is still alive and already knows a lot about the mystic arts because he's been doing it even longer <laughs> than Doctor Strange did. And this theory just like completely sidesteps him. But uh, I guess there is some comic precedent for this. And Tony, as we've seen him in the MCU, is a futurist who really sorts of he sort of like spends time. Uh, searching for ways to solve problems before they happen instead of just reacting to them. So the theory is that maybe after now that he knows that alternate dimensions are a thing because he met Dr. Strange and had that conversation where Dr. Strange has seen over 14 million possible outcomes for this whole thing, maybe Tony, armed with that knowledge, will be able to sort of teach himself about the mystic arts and learn how to undo Thanos's destruction. Um, there's a shot from a recent behind the scenes Marvel video that shows Robert Downey Jr. wearing a Doctor Strange's cape. So maybe that sort of factors in a little bit. And then, uh, yeah, th- I mean, that that would really be the only thing that I'm sort of the Wong <laughs> angle on this is I'm like not fully convinced that it's real. But um, well, the, they, they bypassed Wong in the in Doctor Strange the movie, too. Yeah, that's true. And and he really is sort of like an almost a non-factor in Infinity War. Even he just sort of, sort of like goes uh, he's like he joins the party for a split second and then just ghosts almost immediately. So my favorite uh, but, part about Long's whole storyline in Infinity War is that he's like, oh, the world's ending. Peace out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that I shot guess is the, so strange in the movie. Like it almost feels like he shot it by himself. I don't know. It, it, it looks so strange. But in the comics, um, Tony Stark actually does become the Sorcerer Supreme in an alternate sort of futuristic timeline. So uh, it's vaguely plausible that they would do this. We know that obviously the Marvel Cinematic Universe is not used the does not adapt the comics a hundred percent, but they obviously use it for a lot of inspiration. And uh, we actually have an article up on the site that I thought was really great. I've talked about it uh, in one of the recent episodes that shows a lot of the. Um, comic connections that you can see in Infinity War with like panels and stuff from the comics showing those moments that were sort of directly um, plucked from the comic page. So check that out if you haven't read it yet. We will have to link that in the show notes. Um, it, you know, I don't know. This one just sounds too weird to be in this, uh, you know, Avengers sequel. The only thing that has me thinking maybe it could be true is is Robert Downey Jr. wearing the cape in set photos. But, uh, you know, that could just be that he has that cape. That cape does some some magical things, right? Yeah. 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 Um, um, so what's so the next, the next one? one? Yeah, the next one involves time travel. And this one, I mean, I think we all probably assume that time travel is going to be involved in some capacity in this movie. Uh, I don't know how spoilery we want to get here, because like you said, we don't really know too much about Avengers 4. But there are some photos, like you mentioned with the Ant-Man thing earlier. There are some set photos floating around. And they sort of, I'll try to do this as, as gently as possible, but they sort of hint at the idea that we may be revisiting key moments 
moments throughout Avengers and and Marvel Cinematic Universe history. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, and although Bob didn't Iger's- the Russo brothers like kind of debunk that in saying that it it's not or the stuff that people were pointing out was not time travel that it was the use of that um what's it called barf oh yeah really? the, the technology right yeah but i wonder if that was like misdirection because we know that in the marketing for infinity war and some of the interviews there's been some misdirection about from marvel so some misdirection the like the the key shot that shows them all <laughs> running at the camera had the hulk in it and the hulk is barely in the movie yeah yeah, but I guess the that was just sort of a, um, a one uh, piece of evidence in this theory. I guess the, one of the other big elements is that uh, Bob Iger, who's the CEO of the Walt Disney Company, recently spoke, I think this was, this was last year, he spoke about the different realms that are going to appear in the MCU in the future. And he said his exact quote is, they can be separate geographically or separate in time, not just in place, but in time. So there's almost, it's not quite infinite, but the directions we could go are extraordinary. End quote. So he specifically mentioned the word time twice there and really like underlined the idea that uh, that multiple realms could factor in in different places and and different ways in in time and on the timeline. So uh, I would not be surprised at all if time travel factors in in some way. So that's that's one of the theories. You can read a little bit more about that there. Um, One of the ones that I really liked was from Vanity Fair, and they speculated that Captain America is going to sacrifice himself for the greater good. And I think that's something that we could all probably guess that he would he's going to do. It seems like his entire storyline has been leading toward that in some way or another. But the specifics of this theory, which, by the way, like I, I mentioned this in my interview with Kevin Feige, but you know, this this whole thing started with Iron Man and uh, Tony Stark and Robert Downey Jr. But, like, if you look at this franchise thus far, this 10 years of Marvel, it almost seems like Captain America should be – it should have been Captain America was the first movie. Because, like, this whole thing, I think, is more circular around Captain America than I think any other character. And I think I think you're right. At the end, it is going to be his sacrifice that, that saves the day. He definitely seems like the heart of the franchise uh, thus far, the the entire MCU, in my opinion. But um, yeah, the the specifics of this theory, you know, beyond just like, oh, Cap's going to sacrifice himself to save the day in the end, are what really interests me. And they they speculate, and again, this is based on nothing but just pure speculation, but they say that uh, Cap could sacrifice himself specifically for Tony Stark to be the one to be able to wield the Infinity Gauntlet and maybe undo the events that Thanos caused. So the Soul Stone requires a sacrifice from its user, right? We saw that in Infinity War. But maybe the reason that Doctor Strange left Tony alive was because he knew that Tony's sort of brotherly love slash respect for Captain America might run even deeper than his romantic love for Pepper Potts. And it would be a, definitely a noble way for Chris Evans to bow out of this franchise is, you know, sacrificing himself for to save the rest of his Avengers team. Um, so what do you think about that one? Um, HT, what do you think? I think... I agree with both of you. I think it makes most sense in character for Captain America to sacrifice himself. And yeah, I think he definitely is the heart of the team. Well, Iron Man is the one who helped launch this franchise and basically push this uh, MCU to uh, stardom because of like his charisma. Captain America is truly the one that feels like the Avengers. You know, he feels like he's the one that's really leading this charge. And it just seems like from the beginning, like that we first, since we first saw him, he would sacrifice himself for the greater good. It, it's 
Yeah, no, it, it's also interesting because we all assume that, you know, by the end of Avengers 4, things are going to be restored to normal, right? I mean, there'll be a few deaths, but it won't be, you know, half the universe. Mm-hmm. Correct? Well, what do you guys think if um, of both Captain America and Iron Man sacrificing themselves? Like, what would that be just too devastating for everyone to handle? I can hmm, actually I see think... that happening. Yeah, yeah. And, and that would be like a cool circularity from Civil War where they're both going, you know, butting heads for them to both sort of lay down their lives for the same purpose would have like a nice uh, a nice ring to it, I think. Um, I, I, I also I wanted to bring up another article uh, on the site. Uh, Does death even matter in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Uh, that was written by Matt Donano. Uh, and uh, the reason why I want to bring that up is, you know, we're all assuming well, a, a couple things. We're all assuming that things are going to be restored in the next movie. You know, we we all the people that are raced, you know, are going to or most of them have roles in upcoming Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, uh, Tom Holland in the Spider-Man series, you know, Black Panther franchise. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, now that you're mentioning this and I'm wondering if there is a possibility that at the end of Avengers four, they've done this in the comics, comics before that there could exist two different universes one with half the heroes and the people of the world and half the other. And that, that they could move forward with the Marvel Cinematic Universe in those two parallel worlds. I feel like that might be too difficult for general audiences to track. I think Marvel is asking a lot of people already with these alternate dimensions and stuff. And the idea that that you would... Um, you know, I expect people to be able to track that throughout multiple movies moving forward seems like, you know, because a lot of the stuff that we've seen, like the quantum realm and like Doctor Strange, specifically the the uh, mystery tour that he went on through these different uh, mirror universes and stuff like that. They, they've been relatively contained right to those specific movies. And there have been some discussion about them in the other films, but we haven't really seen them in the other films. Like I'm guessing, like we were talking about, you're going to see the quantum realm pop up in some capacity in Avengers four, at least be heavily referenced. But I I just don't know if you're going to be able to keep everyone on the same page for that long. You know, I I don't know if that's feasible. I think the only reason I suggest that is, you know, you have so many characters in this universe at this point and Anytime a standalone film comes out, people are like, you know, why didn't this guy come in and help? Why didn't the Avengers show up? You know, like maybe it's too much for one universe. I don't know. I'm speaking out loud. This is sounding stupider (laughs) the further I go into it. Of course, they have to correct it. Uh, But I I did want to talk uh, really quickly. I know we are going over time here. Uh, But Matt's article, which he basically, you know, says, you know, by the end of Avengers 4, most, if not all, the heroes are going to be restored from the the death that we saw at the end of, or the, uh, what do you want to call it? Erase, the vanishing. Vanishing that we saw at the end of Infinity War. Um, so are there any big stakes in this universe? It does death even matter? Um, and he, he brings up some good points. I, w- I want you to go read this article. He has this like whole point about Gamora and uh, how her death is kind of, I don't know. You should read his points. But uh, what I wanted to bring up with you guys, and I wanted to hear what you guys think 
about this is like you know if they do restore everything to the status quo if there's like you know only uh captain america and tony and maybe two others that die of this event like is it does death matter in in this world like is is or is stake is there no stakes at all in in this universe I think this is a problem that the Marvel Universe has had from the beginning and that the stakes, even though they're supposed to be world like sky high, they always feel extremely low just because whatever deaths we've had that have made a really big impact on the characters have often either been erased or retconned in a way that feels like everything is, I don't want to say cheap, but nothing matters, I guess, like these sacrifices don't feel like they should have the emotional impact that they should because they're they could just so easily be erased and because that's something that mcu has done before yeah i i generally agree with that i think yondu is a really good exception in guardians of the galaxy volume 2 that was like an emotional uh send-off for that character that seems to be something that they're actually sticking to so i think there is the opportunity for and a little bit of precedent for them to have stakes and establish stakes that matter. It's just a matter of them actually sticking to their guns and, and following through on that and not uh, leaving the door open. You know, you got to be definitive about closing the door on some of these characters. And then I think those stakes will sort of yeah. feel more built in and natural as we go along. And, and I want to point out that, uh, when we say stakes, we don't necessarily mean death. It doesn't always have to be death. It could be, you know, Rhodey losing his legs in uh uh what was that civil war um but you know now he has these bionic leg things and uh it almost seems like nothing has changed we've gone back to the the status quo uh thor this is the biggest one for me i think in infinity war thor who you know lost his eye in thor ragnarok it's a cool new look for him uh throwing it back to uh you know his father odin with the eye patch in this movie gets a bionic eye from rocket and uh presumably in the next movie he'll just look like thor again with a new outfit um so like you know even when you lose an eye in this universe uh, you know that is not a long-lasting thing that has an effect um so yeah but yeah. thor also lost the asgardian people or most of them i think some of them you know the russo brothers have said and i think there's one like throwaway line of dialogue where some of them escaped on a, an escape pod or something in the beginning of the movie but um i i think another way for them to establish that these stakes matter is in the next film if thor has to really grapple in a significant way with the loss of his population like the fact that he was not strong enough to save his people uh, after the events of Ragnarok, which was all about saving Asgard, for Thanos just to come in and sort of wipe them off the map like that, if that has emotional impact and resonance with Thor the character, then I feel like it's going to matter to the audience. So I, I don't know. We'll have to see how they handle that. Yeah, yeah. but I feel like I like the, the eye patch because it felt like a physical scar or reminder of his failures. And like erasing that just feels like it makes the the loss of his people feel a little bit more theoretical and abstract. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like if, if it doesn't leave a scar on his body, how will it, how will we know what it actually means internally? Yeah, yeah. that's true. It sort of, it reeks as something like Chris Evans really wanted, or Chris uh, Hemsworth really wanted to use both eyes. <laughs> and they were just like, all right, we got to come up with a way to, uh, to get him another eye. Samuel here. L. Jackson did it for what four <laughs> movies. Chris Hemsworth can do it. Um, I, I think, the weirdest thing about this to me or not weirdest but like 
I know we're we're we are writing these. You know, Matt, uh, freelancer for site, wrote this article. He's writing about something that you know is a film in, in a film that's coming out in a year, and what we assume is going to happen. Uh, we don't know that's going to happen. Uh, so yeah, we are kind of. Um, we are kind of like making these, you know, we don't know what's going to happen to Asgardian people. Um, for, for all you know, Ben, the Asgardian people, the survivors could set up shop in that, like, what, Ireland location that we saw in Ragnarok and uh, rebuild Asgard there. And then, you know, in two films or so, be back in, you know, better than ever. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess that's true. You're right. Yeah, I, we certainly are jumping the gun and we're going on a, yeah. a lot of, um, uh, yeah, speculation and just like, and we saw what that did for us when we speculated for so long about Infinity War and we were all wrong about which characters were going to die. So that should probably teach us a lesson, but it looks like it hasn't yet. We were so totally wrong, which is so weird, too, because the, uh, what you saw in the movie screens is what happens in the book. Uh, in the comic books and it, it is kind of shocking that like not a lot of people saw that coming even though that's what happens in, in the source <laughs> material um yeah. it's almost uh as if we you know went and saw lord of the rings and were shocked that the thing that happened in the books happened in the movie <laughs> but um okay i think this uh brings us to the end of uh today's slash film daily ht where can we find more of your work online you can find me every day at slash film.com and i'm on twitter at htranbui Ben, where can we find you? You can find me writing at SlashFilm.com as well, and you can track me down on Twitter at Ben Pears. You can find me at SlashFilm and on SlashFilm.com. You can find all of the stories we talked about on today's podcast on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. Uh, this podcast is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com. Uh, please go rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we will see you on Monday. <laughs>